You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hey folks, welcome to another podcast episode. Uh, what is this now? Sunday the 5th of December? I'm struggling to remember the dates at the moment. It's uh, somewhat busy at work. It's kind of destroying all my brain cells. But then so is playing a lot of games. And there's been a ton in the last couple of weeks that I've been playing. So much so that this podcast is actually going to be quite a nice easy one for me because I didn't really need to think about what topics to do for the list because it's basically talking about one convention, one channel, and then a ton of games I've been playing. This is essentially a bumper list of all these games I've been playing recently and my thoughts on them, particularly if they are new to me. If I've already talked about them in the past, I'm just going to kind of gloss over them a little bit. But there's plenty on this list, shall we say, on my notes here as I sort of, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who sees that. But yeah, there's plenty enough to say. I've been playing a lot. But in terms of general health and that, as I say, work is busy. November, December, January is the worst time of year to be an accountant, particularly a corporate tax accountant. So it's just a thing, really. But otherwise, uh, things are pretty fine health-wise. My stress levels are mm, okay-ish, you know, not to say work. But uh, otherwise, blog stress is not too bad. The only thing I'm slightly concerned about is how many games I need to get played before I do my top 10 of 2021. That is the thing, because I've still got the Great Wall downstairs to learn. I've still got a couple in front of me that I've recently received, so something called Brian Boru, uh, King of Ireland or something. I barely even know anything about it, but it's like, eh, okay, I'll give it a look. Tom Vassell reviewed it. Still got to get King Domino Origins played, although that will take me like 10 minutes to play, so that's not going to be too bad. And I've been playing a ton of other little games lately, like Air, Land and Sea, Free uh, Little Wolves, Macaron. I mean, not all of them are 2021 games, but they all need reviewing, so I've been just doing play, 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 play. And... Uh, I'll talk about this one a bit later, the one that's sitting over there, this giant box that I've also been playing. So yeah, it's it's definitely been busy, 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 but health is fine. No uh, gastro issues, you know, those omeprazole tablets have been doing me the world of good. In, well, I say they've been doing the world of good. I haven't had any more reflux issues, and I even went off them for a couple of days because I forgot to take tablets with me when I went uh, somewhere for a weekend and didn't have them for two days, and I was fine. So, you know, it goes to show that it's not simply just a case of, oh, I need a pill every day. It does depend on my stress levels. And when I'm playing games, my stress levels go whoop right down. Because even though this game can certainly get you thinking and there can be tension, I enjoy playing games on a social level with people. It's what I enjoy. Therefore, it's never a bad thing. So, got me coffee in hand, special bean coffee, and all my squash down here. I've got all the drinks I need. So... What do I need to talk about first on the channel? Very briefly, I just want to talk about what you see here. Top five stocking stuffer games or stocking filler games, whether you want to be British or American on this one. But yes, it's a giveaway. That's what I want to talk about. It. So it's a recent list. And basically, Zatu Games and I uh, did a collaboration where, you know, they, we were wondering, people have been asking, where's the discount code that you've had? And it's like, well, the discount code was getting abused. So maybe we'll revisit it in the future, but we'll have to see. What I would really like to do is a kind of one review a month, like uh, people, 
who watch this channel request a game that I've not reviewed yet. Zatu send me a copy of it and then we work together and I do a review and they put it on their website. I'd love to do something like that. Hopefully I can sort of convince them on that front. But for now, we have done a giveaway as part of the Christmas season. So this video that we got here, basically we worked together and came up with a list of five stocking stuffer games. So games that could fit in the stocking. Now granted, I could come up with a list of top 30 if I wanted to do this list myself and certainly I would pick certain other choices. Uh, to go in the top five, but we basically had about four or five of us speak on teams and go, right, here's five that we all agree are really suitable, okay? Now, the catch is, is that we have uh, a chance for you to win these on the Zatu website. So, um, oh, sorry, via my video on the Zatu website. So let me just find Zatu games here on the screen. But essentially, I'm not going to spoil which five games we talked about, but essentially you can win these five games. Go to my video, have a watch. Hopefully you enjoy it. Like, comment, and subscribe. So like the video, comment about your favorite stocking stuffer, and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And while you're at it, subscribe to me on Instagram. That'd be nice because I'm kind of... Instagram's weird. I see people get like thousands and thousands of followers and barely have put 20 posts up. And I've got more posts than I have followers. It's just kind of weird. I don't get Instagram. But the uh, Zatu on their like Christmas thing. So they've got a, very, a Zatu Christmas page. And they've got stocking fillers here. So you can go look at what they've got in these. Like Jaipur, Koo, uh, Deep Sea Adventure, Cobra Poor, Exit, uh, Bandido, Exploding Kittens, uh, Quirkle, Ganshon Clever, uh, Monopoly Deal. <laughs> Wait, i got to be honest here. Uh, just one. You know, there's plenty on here on this uh, site. So by all means, check out all those pages. But what you need to do is after you've liked, comment, and subscribed to that video, <clears throat> sorry, you need to click on a link that is in the description of that video. And I say click, you need to copy and paste the link. Copy and paste the link into your browser, and it will take you to a, a form. In fact, maybe I can quickly show you on the screen here while I'm doing it. But basically, it's just a link that you need to use in order to get to a page on Zatu that basically just, what's the word? It it takes you to a little screen that you just put your email address in. Nice and simple. We can see who you are on a YouTube channel if need be, but you know we definitely need that email address. So let me load it up here. So using the link will basically take you to this uh, giveaway page, Zatu Games at the Broken Meeple giveaway. Can you believe that they actually referred to me as the honest meeple on the blurb here? Naughty, naughty, Zatu. But Basically, it says Merry Christmas, la la la, and it tells you about the games. Join the newsletter, your email address, sign me up, and that's it. Competition is going to close on the 10th of December 2021, okay? So next Friday. They're going to do the, they will draw the winner, and they will contact them via email. So hopefully I won't need to do anything, but if necessary, I'll put something on the community page on my channel just to say, this email has one, get in touch, check your spam folder, that kind of thing. But yeah, so all you got to do is just follow the link, put your email address in, like, comment, and subscribe to the video, and you're in with a chance to win five games. And this says open the worldwide. You don't even have to be in the UK. So by all means, check it out. Right. Uh, now, before I get onto the main uh, premise of all these games I've been playing, I just want to give a shout out, and this is a relevant shout out. Okay, it's definitely relevant to gaming rules. Now, you're thinking, hang on a minute, gaming rules, as in Paul Grogan, that's not a small channel, is it? Small content creator? Yes and no. And don't worry, there is a reason why I am, you know, choosing his. Because basically, a lot of these games I played was at a recent convention we went to called GridCon. 
It's a special wine that's mostly open to Patreons of Gaming Rules, but, you know, some people can get... You can also get in if you're not a Patreon. And, you know, Paul Grogan and his friends, you know, Victoria's, uh, his girlfriend, that they host it, and it's a great little thing. It's a casual... It's a very casual... What's the word? Like, casual convention. So you don't have you know any like massive events and podcasts going on or anything like that you know it's not like these conventions which have now become more about the uh channels that are part of guests as opposed to the convention itself you know even paul i mean yes this is a gaming rules convention but apart from the fact that he's there and he does a vlog that's it there's no special show or anything like that so you don't it's not like you go to it saying oh it's the gaming rules convention it's like no it's gridcon it's its own thing and basically, that's where we went. That's where I was last week. Five days, solid playing games. Well, I want to shout out the Paul because, you know, he's a good friend of mine. He's from the West Country like I am, although I think he moved to the West Country. I don't think he was born there like I was. But, oh, well, you're there now, so it counts. And, you know, the man does a good job. He does a lot of good quality content, you know, with his games and tutorials and playthroughs and that i mean i wish i could do playthroughs like this all the time i don't have green screen capability nor do i have a uh, the means of <clears throat> doing it on my table currently we'll see but the idea with this channel is that there's a lot of different video content he's a friendly bloke and if you have played any heavy lucerta game or a lot of other heavy games in the past you chances are you owe the fact that you can play the game well to Paul for helping to edit the rulebook, okay? His stuff that he has done for the hobby is, uh, you know, unprecedented compared to a lot. And yes, he's got a lot of subscribers. The views don't always seem to justify it, though. There's a few of these videos that do get a fair amount of views, but when you consider that a lot of the trendy channels at the moment seem to get, like, a ton of views for literally just breathing, it's kind of like... I feel like he gets the short end of the stick from a lot of like people and publishers and that, and I feel like he deserves more. I mean, you know, where else are you going to find a really good tutorial and solo playthrough of like Euphia, and you know, a tutorial and playthrough of Mindbug and these new games, like Ark Nova? I mean, Ark Nova tutorial and playthrough only eight thousand views, and that's from a month ago. Now I say only eight thousand because if a video of mine got eight thousand, I'd be loving it. But this is Ark Nova. This is like one of the hottest games out of of Essen. And yet, only so many views. Now, granted, it went up a lot more for Weather Machine, so I guess, and Voidfall, but still, I feel that not enough people watch his stuff, and I, you know, I feel bad for him, really. You know, I think he deserves a lot more. I get on well with him. We've done stuff in the past. I did the Spirit Island playthrough with him. Uh, that was good fun on his channel. I wonder if that's somewhere. I wonder if that's anywhere on here, actually. Ar he does Arkham Horror card game stuff. I mean, I'd love to play a game of Arkham Horror uh, card game with him. That'd be pretty sweet. But... Where is that Spirit Island? I wonder if I can find that Spirit Island one. Let's see. We've got Eclipse, Cache of Cultures, Marvel Champions, uh, more Arkham Horror. I can't find it for the moment, but have a look on his channel and find the Spirit Island digital playthrough that we did. It was fun. But also, he's been on my channel. We did top 10 thematic games on my own YouTube channel. Uh, we also did a pre-Essen uh, vlog with mis uh, me, myself, and... Um, me, myself? <laughs> me, myself, and Irene. No, <laughs> me, Paul, and Mike. Uh, and... We're hopefully going to do something else uh, before the end of 2021. You know, we're still discussing it. So, yeah, you know, this is a lot of good stuff. And I, you know, I always like to watch his content. Uh, not not for every game. I mean, I couldn't give a monkeys about Great Western Trail, as you know. But uh, certainly I was interested to know a bit more about Mindbug and get his thoughts on Ark Nova. In fact, the reason I was even able to play Ark Nova at GridCon was because I watched this video first. Okay, so that's got to speak, you know, speak volumes there. So, yeah, by all means. Paul Grogram, 
gaming rules, give the channel a look, and I'd say give it a bit more love than it's getting, because I feel there's something weird going on here. You know, I, it really does deserve more love than it gets. But enough uh, love for the moment. <laughs> Let's actually get on with the prop point of this show. Yes, as I mentioned, I went to a convention called GridCon, which, as I say, was uh, Gaming Rules' specific convention. But it's not like it's not like Aircon, which is now the Watch It Played show. It's like it's this is GridCon. It doesn't even mention I mean, apart from the fact it says Gaming Rules and Devon Convention. You it would you wouldn't notice it from looking at the label and that. So, but as you can see from the photos here, in fact, is this the most recent one? I think it is actually. Yeah, I think this is from the recent one that we actually. I don't remember Christmas decorations going up. No, this is from last year's. I think. I don't think he's put um, this year's one on there. But yeah, bunch of tables, multiple rooms, big tables, even a special one for demos and that. He'll demo some stuff. You can ask for other players, and you just sit there and play games. It's definitely more Eurocentric than other games. Uh, in the sense of what is tender played. And yes, it's perfectly family friendly, but not a lot of kids end up there. You kind of find that it's more heavier games that tend to get played. I mean, look at this lot. You've got Twilight Imperium 4. You've got what looks like an 18xx game there, or maybe that's a prototype. I don't know. One in the same, really, aren't they? Woohoo! Oh, I'm going to get so much flack for that. Uh, you've got On Mars. You've got Cooper Island. I mean, these are heavy games, and it was no different at this convention either. But it's just friendly, laid back. The hotel lays on really good food. If you want a cheaper hotel, you can literally stay in a guest house or something similar, like two minutes drive away and just drive in each morning like I do. It, it's a lovely area. It's in Tiverton. It's part of the West Country in Devon. So if you want to get some cider from a local farm, you can always take a break and do that. Do recommend it. Always find a local cider farm, right? Local cider farm. One of those ones that you see the the uh, the board on the road. It says left cider. Always turn off and find one of those because you never know what kind of gems you can find. But unless you're American, in which case you have no chance of being here in the West Country. Oh, well, that's a shame. But I'd like to show you some proper British cider at some point. But yeah, this convention is just great. It's a great laugh. I had great fun. Five days of this. It was a warm-up event plus the main event, which is normally three days long. I did a warm-up event that was another two days. It's just really good fun. So at this convention and afterwards, I've been playing a ton of games. And that's essentially what this podcast is now going to do for the rest of its duration. What are we at now? We're at... Uh, we're at quarter of an hour into it. So the next half an hour at least, if not 45 minutes, is just going to be me talking about different games I've played. So let's get on with, let's say, the big highlight. Big highlight. Ark Nova that I just mentioned. Huge game. Now, this rating here that I've given a 10. Uh, take that with a pinch of salt for now because I still need to give it more plays. It could drop, but... Take a drink for now. Um, I have, you know been playing it a little bit on tabletop simulator which i haven't been updating it for but i need to play it some more uh, but this is mainly just based on the free plays i had at gridcon and arc nova is a giant euro game about building a zoo finally we have a thematic game about building a zoo granted there's some abstraction here and there but for the most part it feels like i'm building a zoo i have my own board my own little hex map i can build what enclosures i like i can put what animals i like in it but it looks it takes a lot of its mechanics from other games. People compare it a lot to Terraforming Mars. I think that's a little bit untrue. Yes, there is an aspect of Terraforming Mars in here, but one, this game is fun, and two, the only real similarity with Terraforming Mars is the cards all have a smorgasbord of different types and iconography and different abilities, but that's about it, really. 
and and collecting of tags and icons and stuff. I mean, that is the similarity to Terraforming Mars. But you don't draft these cards. They go in a face-up display and you can draw more from a deck and there's a ton of them. Absolute ton of them. So that's about it, really. But the main thing is that it takes two other mechanics, a scoring system out of Rajas of the Ganges, where two markers have to meet and then the separation of those two is your final score. So it explains it so weird in the rulebook. The rulebook is not particularly great, but... Watching Paul Grogan's tutorial or being taught this game is the best way to play it. But the idea is I love the action selection in this. The action, I'll get back to the cards in a minute. But this action selection here with these cards, it's straight out of Civilization A New Dawn. If you know that game, it had those cards that you put in a row in front of you. And depending on where you activated a certain card, it the position in the row dictated its power. In Civ A New Dawn, it dictated what terrain you could use it for and how good the action was. Here, it's basically a strength rating of the action for build or draw cards or play cards. And, you know, you want to activate them in different positions to be able to do different things. I love this mechanic. It is completely abstract as all get out. But, oh my god, do I love it. I want this mechanic in more games stat. It just, it works great in Civ A New Dawn. It works great in this one. You know, I love it, love it, love it, love it. But what you are doing with uh, this one, though, is, as I mentioned, you are playing a ton of cards. And, whoop, careful with the zooming on that picture there. Here we go. Bunch of cards. So, look at this. I mean, there's a ton of them. And it's a mixture of artwork and photographs. Artwork is generally on the sponsor cards and some of the, and some of the other ones, you know, the ones that are made up pictures. But the animals and the landscapes for some of these conservation cards, I, I believe, are all photographs. I mean, they look more like photographs. And most people would go, well, what screen caps? I don't like that. I want artwork. Honestly, look at these pictures. These are good photographs, and it's photographs of animals done by professional animal photographers. I mean, there's an Eurasian eagle owl there. You want to try and get that picture yourself in, you know, with a mobile phone? Yeah, good luck with that. But all these pictures look great. All these cards look cool. Yes, there is a smorgasbord of iconography, and you do need to get used to that. This is definitely going to be a bit of a learning curve for a game. But I love the variety this game offers. This one makes me feel like I'm building my zoo. And I can choose. Do I want cheaters, raccoons, trash pandas? <laughs> Do I want an African spurred tortoise, maybe? Perhaps I'm collecting birds. I've got an aviary, so if I get more birds, I can get more bonuses for that. I've got a sponsor card. Like, for example, uh, this one really likes me to get science symbols. All right, well, I better get some universities. That gets me science symbols. I'll do some other cards. Um, here's one here, the Okapi stable. Uh, put some tokens on the card, and each time you play a herbivore, you can remove a token and do some cool thing right so i better go for herbivores have i got any well i got this deer here that would be pretty good you know and you can just go down so many different paths in this game and you only start off with a little bit of a strategy for some intro cards and what's um these conservation cards which are kind of like objectives like get so many australian icons or release an african animal into the wild get a predator and a partner zoo that kind of thing but that only guides you for so much of the game the rest of the game, you kind of have to adapt and go, well, you know, I was grabbing a bunch of predators, but all of a sudden I just found this uh, owl house and I've got a couple of birds. And also just there's a card down there that rewards me if I can get more birds. Maybe I should try that. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to grab some birds and then I go bird centric. I've had one where I just started off going off of bears and then all of a sudden I gave up on that idea and decided, you know what? I better focus on European animals because there's an objective there and I've just found a bunch of European icons. Yeah, there's a little bit of luck of drawing the cards, but other than that, it's, you know, you get to do what you want to do. But this game is just so much fun. Yeah, I thought I was only going to play it once at Gridcon. 
I got a few rounds into the game and already declared I loved it. Like, I already knew I was going to like this action road mechanic because I already like it anyway. But I needed to find out, is the theme solid? And yeah, it's not 100% dripping with theme. I mean, this whole thing of the universities are basically just icons and abilities and the, the workers, the way you use them on the association board. I mean, there's some abstracted elements, but you can get asymmetric maps with like a player power on each one, it's different layouts. You've got the flip side of the card so if you you've got five basic sides and you've got the five advanced sides which ones you're going to flip you might only flip three or four of them in the game then the partner zoos get you a discount on a particular type of creature so you know if i partner up with australia i can get a bunch of australian animals cheaper there's a lot of different ways to play this game it feels different each time in terms of what strategies i'm going for even though the mechanics are roughly about the same it's just so good. Now, it is a learning curve, and the rulebook's not perfect, but, you know, once you, if you get taught it, great. But as I said, played one game, great. Loved it for, wish I could have got it at Essen, but I was not prepared to stand in a queue for 90 minutes just to get a copy of it. I mean, come on, Furland Spiel, print more copies of your games. But, or send me a review copy, that'd be fantastic. But I got to play it a second time with two people who already had an Essen copy there. And then I managed to reserve this game from GridCon again to teach Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming and another person, you know, another free player game. So I played it three times within the space of three days. Loved it every single time. Oh, this game is really, really good so far. This is a big contender for my number one of the year so far. But... I need to give it more plays. I need to try it more on Tabletop Simulator because I don't own a copy of this game. And I need to try the solo mode because that's really going to be a big thing for me. It's like there's only so many people I'm going to want to play a game this heavy with. But if I can play it solo, fantastic. Then brilliant. You know, that's really going to nail it in the coffin, I think. In the coffin? No, that's a bad way. Uh, that's really going to bring it up to the upper echelons of distinction level. It yeah, I've given it a 10 so far, but i got to make certain I get off the fanboyism for a bit and give it more test runs and see how's it going to go for longevity. Is that theme really strong? Is the solo mode any good? You know, so it could fluctuate, but I don't expect this to drop to, you know, a really low level or anything. I'm really, really enjoying this game. And hopefully I'll be able to do a review of it, but I don't know. Might be a while before I can do an actual detailed review of it. It may just be something that you'll hear about on the top 10 of 2021 because... It's going to be on that list. It's going to be on that list. It's just a case of whether it'll be like top five or number one even. You know, we shall see. But yeah, loving it. Ark Nova. He's definitely going to give this one a try. Alrighty, let's go for another heavy one. This was another one that we watched uh, Paul Gogan's video for in preparation. Weather Machine. Now, Weather Machine, I've given an eight based on first. And bear in mind, this is not like a true and tested rating, okay? This is first impressions here. But I've played a game of Weather Machine, and I think it's good in some ways great but hmm i don't know i have some reservations my mate uh my, my friend loves it more i mean it's one of his favorite lacerders now and when the machine when the machine is a very kind of fantastical style setting here i mean you are basically scientists trying to keep this weather machine under control you putting down robots on a workshop which is basically a grid of tiles getting cog machine parts of different colors so that you can, when the machine runs for a particular weather, you can get your robots in a column so that you can get these books, which go onto this board, which is kind of like you're studying, which gets you bonuses. Yeah, I think you're beginning to see one issue I do have with this game. 
If I play a game like Lisboa, well, not even Lisboa, even Gallerist and Kanban, for example, or even Vinyos, the theme is super strong and it's relatable. Here, the theme is effectively a pasted on fantastical theme. I mean, it's, you know, it's a weather machine in some post like steampunky style setting and you're putting robots out. I mean, it's not exactly the most thematic game in the world. It's just a much better interesting theme or setting than coal and iron meets charcoal and steel or whatever. But, you know, this is definitely a very mechanical game in every way, shape or form. And that is one slight issue I do have because... It's difficult to relate to this theme. It also means that the game is not very intuitive. Yeah, it, it's going to be a big learning curve for your first game. And trying to figure out, right, so hang on. So if I put a machine here, I need what to do this? I need to uh, be the, I need to have the machine run when there's a sun tile up there. What does that mean for R&D? It doesn't link together quite as intuitively as other games. <clears throat> so it does make learning the learning curve higher, I think, in this than Ark Nova. But mechanically, it is still a fun game. I mean, it's worker placement, going on certain spaces when other people are there can get you some old bonuses. You might want to follow uh, Latif around or whatever his name is, who's basically uh, Vital spelled backwards. And, you know, going to where he is can also yield you some extra bonuses. You're getting these like little cylinder chemicals in order to facilitate some of the actions. It's a very busy board. Oh. We're running out of saliva already. But the idea with this is. Oh, sorry about this, guys. I gotta clear my throat out a few times. But you, with this R and D section, you then have to like go there, donate the machine parts to keep the weather under control before it goes into extreme levels. But it's not like there's a point in the game where it suddenly ends because the weather goes too extreme. It's just a case of how the bonuses work. It's super mechanical. Now, there's some nice little step-by-step -step diagrams of what actions are what here. Like, I mean, if you look at this picture for a moment, you've got two different actions you can do on the left and right, and it goes step-by-step, -step, one, two, three, four, five, as to what you need to do. Still, though, not particularly intuitive. Looks gorgeous, though. Ian O'Toole's artwork is normal, and it certainly is a beauty to look at. It's a very busy board area. But I think this is the problem I have. It's just very mechanical. I enjoy it, but I also don't think the longevity is particularly good in this one, because... The five different types of weather don't mean jack. You know, there's no difference between rain and sun and wind. It's just you've got five columns in two different departments. So which column are you going for? It depends on which tile is there. It doesn't, it's not like the wind has some special effect or the rain has some special effect. There's no negative thing that happens really from weather going out of, you know, going extreme. This left side of the board is all about taking tiles and then like seeing what the column and the row gets you. I mean, very artificial and mechanical. It's difficult to get immersed in this one for me. I can get immersed in Kanban like crazy. I mean, that is such a good theme in that one. Even the gallerist. Vinyos, I love wine. Lisboa to a lesser extent, but at least you can tell that theme is there, even though it is abstracted to a point. At least it's based on a historical event. This is just completely fantastical and as such... As much as I enjoy the game, I don't know if I'd want to buy this one. I haven't backed it on Kickstarter yet, and I don't know if I will, because it, it's a lot of money. I've already spent a bit of money um, pre-ordering Voidfall, but as much as the components of this are great, and, you know, they are really good components, I'll give it that. And, you know, and the artwork is really good, and the mechanics are decent. Would I opt to play this over one of these others and i don't think i would you know if somebody wants to play it i'll gladly play it 
you know, if my friend wants to back this on Kickstarter and they say, Luke, we're coming, you're going to come around mine, can we play Weather Machine? I'll gladly play it, because I think the game is good and fun. But it's a bit like what I had with On Mars. Do I want to play this over the ones that I already have in my collection? Probably not. If so, why should it sit in my collection? I'll only forget all the rules because, as I say, it's not particularly intuitive. You know, you, you've got a, the subsidy board. You've got to go there with a certain worker and then you've got to put a robot on the spot and then take the tile. This tile you can activate in a future turn to get you a bonus action. You know, the middle of the board, you've got to get the robots into columns so that when the machine runs where this like robot assistant is, you're there and can pick up some points. And bonuses as well. It's it's a very rewarding game, although you can rope yourself into a corner in the early game if you're not careful. You know, you don't start off well, chances are it could be a bit of a runaway leader thing. But you can try different strategies in there, and it, you know, in terms of right, someone's gonna focus on R and D and I'm gonna focus on the machines, etc., or the funding tracks, or just getting all their robots out. But other than that, the game doesn't really change up each time. There's no like different machines that are running. There's no diff. Yeah, the subsidy tiles are just bonuses. That's not going to change things up. Your player board is not asymmetric. It's the same as everybody else's, really. The workshop is just a storage thing rather than anything else. It's that's to say, I fear that there's going to be elements of this game that would put me off wanting to own it. Gladly play it but not necessarily own it. So that's kind of my intro thoughts. I don't see this going higher than an eight for me, and I reckon it may even drop to a seven as time goes on. I still think it's good. I still think it's a good, solid Lacerda game, just like most of the other titles are, but I'm not getting quite as hyped for this one as others. Right. More coffee, sir. Right, let's have another look. Something else new. Oh God, yeah, this is going to surprise a lot of you. <clears throat> you know how much I like trains? <laughs> you know how much I like trains? Oh boy. Well, I will play any game with people I like. So if my friends are going to play a game, I'll play any game with them because the social aspect dominates the game. So imagine their surprise when I said, you know what? I would like to sign up to your game teaching Grand Trunk Journey. And if anybody knows this game, you're going to be thinking, Luke, are you on drugs? What possessed you to play this game? This is, and I really got to stop. I really got to find a way to get like the ratings out. The ratings almost act like the mini spoilers, but I've given this a seven as my initial rating. It's like, Luke, you're on drugs or, or you're an alien. You're a scroll. Where's the real Luke? No, no, no. Seriously, because I do think trains are a dumb theme. All right. I hate trains. They're boring. They're there, whatever. I still love Ticket to Ride. I just imagine it's different transportation. You know, I... I you know, trains are boring for me. I'm not interested in trains. But the mechanics of pick up and deliver, I do like. My problem with Age of Steam is the loans and the finance part of it just gets A, too boring, and B, too punishing. I don't like it when it's too punishing. 18xx is all about the investment and the stocks and all that boring stuff. Again, that's not so much the pick up and deliver part. It's the other side of it that I don't like and the fact that it looks like a prototype. This one, though is pretty much a pure pick-up-and-deliver game. You've got to go around this map of, uh, was it Canada and Northwest, and you've got to take goods from one bit to another, and then some different cities want different stuff. I mean, this is a board not even set up yet, but there's private contracts you can go for. The different cities have different demands, like some want coal, some want steel. Uh, here's a good picture here. So here I need to take a steel to this port and turn it into wood. Here I got to take a wood to this one, and they'll give me coal and steel. So you've got to plan your routes. 
Why did I like this game though? And granted, I do think it's a bit long. We played it with four players and we were all kind of new to it because my friends had only played it like once before, about a year and a half ago, and I was brand new to it. So it took me a little bit to get used to it. But once it clicked, it started rolling pretty well. And that was not a pun. But this card system is what I liked about it. It's like a little mini deck builder. You start off with a basic level one train. This is like upgraded versions here. And you have these cards, some of which are the actual carriages, and they can hold certain goods. Cubes, yes, yes. Some of them are like ability cards. So here is a development card. So this one allows you to do one of the two actions on here. In this particular example, it allows me to uh, develop my train into a bigger version or to spend coal to make it quicker. And I went full on that. This was my strategy for the game. Get a quick train, build it up, and just zip around the map like crazy, you know, as fast as I can. Worked well enough for me to win the game, so, you know, it did well, but I felt I could have approached it in many different ways. But this card system is really cool because, I mean, as well as being able to get technologies and stuff that, you know, help you do stuff, the box is not particularly big either. I mean, it's a fairly medium sized box for what you get in it, but I'm trying to find a good example of like picture-wise, or the game in progress. But all right, this one's not too bad. So here you've got the different routes. So again, pick up and deliver. I like that, planning my route. But with these cards, you have a hand of them. You build it, you do it like a deck builder, but some of your cards are set out of play. Not all of these locations are open to you at the start of the game. They have to be opened with a specific action card. And so with the action card, if somebody says, right, I want to open Ottawa, for example, it becomes open for business. Everybody gets their Ottawa card, puts it in their discard pile, or if you opened it on top of your deck even, and it's now part of your deck. But everybody's deck is asymmetric. They've all got the same locations in them, but what ability is on specific city cards is different. So my Ottawa card might be a carriage that can hold more resources. For someone else, the Ottawa card might be a specific ability card. So everybody feels a little bit different at different times. But the, the way that you play the cards is really cool because you have to change your destination every turn, and that's a card. You know, it, it's kind of mixed-use cards in a sense. Let me try and find another example of the cards here. Uh... This will do. Uh, this one at the back here, it's a carriage that allows me to pick up steel. It's also got the, the place New London on it. So it's a mixed use thing. Do I play it as a carriage? Great, I now have a carriage that can hold steel temporarily. Problem is, I now can't visit New London. There's a wild card in the deck that you can use, that's great. But now I can't visit New London because it's now a carriage. Do I want to visit New London? In which case, maybe I should not use it as a carriage. And those decisions you make about the cards as you go through. Now, that means there is a bit of a luck of the draw. You might just not draw the cards you need, but it's a very tactical game. You can have a strategy and say, right, I'm going to try and build up a train and all that. But there's contracts that you can get and things like that that happen during the game. So you kind of need to adapt. And the action selection system is based on these little flip chart things where you see a calendar date with the ones. And basically the outside of the track is a timer for the game. So it's done Takedo style where the person at the back is the one whose turn it is. So that's always a mechanic I like. But basically your actions take a certain amount of time. And so as you go through this track, you keep going until you hit 36. That's the game end trigger. And you're kind of trying to be efficient with the time that you do, but to get across the map takes more time unless you've got a speedy train like I did. Technologies can boost your abilities or give you more actions that you can do and stuff. There's And even these contracts, I mean, some of them are really hard to get. 
this first one here, you'll only get so many points, but you can, you can get it as long as your timer is between five and eight and you're in the right location with the right goods. But here, you've got to get seven points for this one, but you've got to line up with it on the one date, on the 18th. You have to be there at that time, otherwise you can't get it. It's, it really does make your brain think, and I just enjoyed it. You know, do I think it's the most amazing thing ever? No, I gave it a seven, but I think it's good. I think it's a bit long. You know, four players is pretty lengthy, although we might be able to speed that up. I reckon with three players, this would be a lot better. But I felt the technologies give a good varied system. I would like a better theme than trains, yes. It was difficult to kind of get immersed in this one. I had to just accept it was a mechanical affair. But I think the card system is solid. I like the the timer track action uh, deal with whose turn it is. I think that's really great. And yeah, it, it was just solid. It was better than I expected it to be. And the only reason I jumped into it in the first place was because my friend described the card system to me and that was enough for me to go, yeah, you know, I like it. It was solid. That card system worked. Luck of the draw, yes. But the different technologies, the different objective cards, you know, you can do some interesting little combos and strategies in this. And I'd be up for playing this again. So, yeah, Grand Trunk Journey, Spielworks, give it a seven for now. Maybe that could even go up to an eight with more plays, with less players even. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised. So, yeah. Luke enjoyed a game that was featuring trains. Prepare to uh, break the internet and start the rapture at your moment at uh, your own pace. Crazy, eh? Crazy. Right. What next? Uh, another game. Uh, let's, let's talk about someone I was a bit less keen on. Um, Euphia. Or is that how you pronounce it? Euphia, Torment of Resurrection. I've given it a four. Now, Mark Dainty, bless his soul, taught me this one, and he had to he had to unbox a copy of it from the library that some five-year-old had put back. So all the cards and tiles are in the wrong place and that. And oh, I felt sorry for him because I didn't know how to help him. <laughs> I just had to organize stuff. But I didn't know what cards were what, what tiles were what. So we kind of just had to go with it. <laughs> you know. So, But he loves this game. He's been talking highly about this one all year. It's definitely going to be one of his top 10 of 2021, I think. And it's essentially, supposedly... An epic competitive board game that you can also play solo and cooperative. I describe this as a watered-down version of Mage Knight. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Yeah, you know what I think of Mage Knight. Uh, not a fan. This one definitely has that Mage Knight flavor, and I think the people who enjoy this a lot are gonna be Mage Knight fans. I can't imagine you would hate one and like the other. I feel you've got to like both. But this one, basically, we, we played a co-op scenario. I mean, the competitive is kind of weird. You're, you, you know, you've got to stop some big baddie, but you're kind of working against each other to have the most points and reputation by the end. Thematically, it doesn't really make sense. So co-op worked fine. We played an eight-round scenario, which took forever. I mean, it still took a fair... It still took a good two to three hours, I think, to play this game for only eight rounds. But... You essentially have a character and you level them up with getting equipment and extra abilities that you unlock as you get more points. You explore a map, but I don't feel you do a lot in this game. You basically have three things that you can do. You can go fight a monster, of which there's a ton of them. Well, I say a ton of them. There's a ton of them on the map. There's not many actual monster types in this game. The amount of dragonflies that I ended up fighting, it was ridiculous. And the abilities you get... Are, you know, you've got asymmetric characters with their own different abilities now, which is quite cool, different layouts, so at least you've got a decent amount of variety there. But you basically fight a monster, 
minor location which just gets you a random gem or stone that you can deliver to some trade site for gold and you and you can go to one of those market sites in order to get more stuff and there's three different markets the tiles are laid out here that you can see where there's gold on them and you can buy some armor buy some items potions and that you know it's it's well produced i mean you got some trades you got a lot of tokens there's a lot of bits in this game i think there's even metal coins but it's yeah and the artwork's decent enough the problem is is that i found it kind of boring you know, I mean, obviously, playing the game with Mark was good fun, but I felt it was very restrictive as well. I mean, I, maybe in a 20-round game, you can achieve a lot more, but I don't want to play this game for 20 rounds. It would take me the entire day. I can see why people would play this solo, and I think if you play this with three or four players, I think you would pull your hair out with just how long it takes. But it takes ages to sort of get through a turn with these action little tokens you use, but it's so restrictive. It takes a lot of effort to get money and everything costs so much and you've got to spend money and these precious resources in order to open up slots on your board so you can even equip the rotten things and pay money in most cases to actually get the rotten ability in the first place. It's cool that when you level up you've got a choice of two abilities and you pick one and discard the other. That's pretty sweet. You've got some different ways to build the character although I suspect there's some gamery way that says you should always pick these under all circumstances. But you've got to, like, pay to get... Why have I got to spend gold to get a chest armor slot? I, I'm capable of wearing chest armor. This just seems an artificial, like, a roadblock. But even then, the, the combat is super punishing in this game. You essentially fight a monster, and you draw the card out, and it can get so many curse tokens and, you know, special buffs or whatever. And they use these... I forget what they're called. I call them runestones or some other... I think they call them... Gaia stones or guy stones i don't know i just call them rune stones because they are stone they have runes on them they're called rune stones okay <laughs> don't try to give it some fancy little name and when when the monster comes out it's already fairly hard but then these buffs basically make it stupid hard <laughs> you know, stupidly hard i wonder if i can even find an example of some monsters here the, you know, these photos are rather scattered and there's not a huge amount of them but it's uh, gotta be a monster somewhere a monster combat i don't know it's a smorgasbord of stuff here uh, maybe this will work let's have a look dragon it's around is this a dragon this is probably a big example of a monster because i was just fighting little dragonflies but uh sort of no that doesn't really work i don't know but basically the monster will have stats and it will be based on a die roll and when you're playing co-op you essentially have a a deck of cards you flip a card the monster gets a certain role based on the ai deck and it can use so many curse tokens and that here we go some monsters and you know the, this dragonfly i am i am sick to death of dragonflies there's like barely four different types of monsters in each group of level one two three and elite so you know yay not a lot you've got you've got all the fantasy world at your fingertips and you can only give me something like four monster types that aren't even linked to each other in the level one category and it's like come on a little bit of effort here guys a little bit of differentiation but by the time they get all these buffs and curses and that they can just reduce your die roll to stupid levels and that's assuming you even roll well in the first place it is a luck game at the end of the day but then the things get you are i mean this dragonfly here doesn't seem like it does a lot of damage but you get minus four to your roll to hit the thing minus four 
Usually that means you'll miss half the time. So constantly you're just getting ragged on by this guy. You barely have anywhere between five to eight health as your starting health. And it's very hard to get more health in this game, especially in like eight rounds of it. And these cursed tokens get ridiculous. I mean, how many times did I see mind control turn up? And do you remember a game called City of Kings where you could find a monster and it was like, I go to the swamp. And I just found an ice spider with wings uh, that has a tail. It's also part bear and it has psionic powers. It's like, huh? Same problem with this. You know, how does a dragonfly know mind control? First monster I came across was a boar. A wild boar. It had mind control and soul control abilities. What kind of wild pig has mind control psionic powers? Okay, I can accept a pig in Into the Spider-Verse talking and having a mallet in its pocket, okay? That's a superhero hill. This is just ridiculous, and it breaks my sense of immersion, because I'm just thinking, how does the creature know this stuff? Why is it so hard to kill a pig in this game? You know, I want to be able to kick the door down and slay enemies. You know, a game I'm going to talk about in a minute, I can do that. And even in Descent, which I wasn't the biggest fan of, I can do that. Here, though, it feels like it wants to punch me in the face a million times just to kill a sodding dragonfly. Uh, it, it got very frustrating. The combat is just too hard and punishing. I'm like, dread to think what it's like in solo mode. And like I say, it looks nice. The artwork is nice. And there's certainly plenty of variety in here. But again, that's just a lot of the problems. I mean, it's not the simplest game in the world, although it is far simpler than Mage Knight. But still, there's a lot of rules to understand. There's a lot of fiddly aspects. It's not very intuitive. You've got these elementals that are dotted around the board that just confuse matters even more. Everything just feels like a slog to get. And that's the thing. I don't want it to be a slog. And, you know, ugh, Venomous Spider. I don't like that one. But, yeah, it just... Feels like such a slot. I mean, here's your boar. Yeah, lowish health. I mean, look at this. Shadow beast and the boar are the same health. A beast of the shadows has the same health and stats as essentially a wild boar. Okay, what? And a shadow beast, I expect to have psionic powers. Not a wild little piggy. All right. Charlotte's Web would have been a very different movie that had the pig had psionic powers. Okay. Granted, I would have probably enjoyed the film more if that was the case. But still, <laughs> yeah, that would have been kind of a weird film. But it just gets ridiculous. And it just brought back too many vibes of Mage Knight. And I don't like Mage Knight. It's, it's basically a Euro game with a fantasy theme pasted on it. It's not a fantasy adventure game with mechanics. That's sort of the game I'm going to talk about in a minute. But this one... I mean, credit to Mark, you know, this is more his type of game. I thank him for teaching me it. I wanted to see what it was like because I had no interest in the Kickstarter when it came out. But yeah, for me, this was a dud. I, I think it's below average. I don't hate it, but yeah, just too much like Mage Knight, which isn't that good for me. Right, let's talk about an adventure game that is solid, though, or at least solid after the first three games I've had of it. Let's see, where are we at for time? 48 minutes, right, okay. Ooh, there's a lot of games still to talk about. Well, we'll go through a couple of them. Right. This one I didn't play at Gridcom. I had the Kickstarter delivered, and I've recently just played three games of it. Role Player Adventures. Role Player Adventures. No, not Role Player. Role Player Adventures. Come on, get it right, Luke. But get it right. Uh, there we go. Stupid. Come on. <laughs> Work with me, Board Game Geek. So... Roleplay Adventures, it's in the, well, the Roleplay Universe, whatever that needs to be. Um, this does not need to be a universe. But 
Roleplayer is this really cool dice game where you're building up a D&D character. So you level up the character, you gain its attribute scores, you develop its traits. Really cool, fun dice game. There's another game in this universe called Lockup, which I think is fine. I call it, I give it a six. I think it's fine. I don't love it, but I'd happily play it. Roleplayer Adventures, though, is an adventure, a kind of choose-your-own-adventure style game utilizing the dice mechanic, similar to Roleplayer, but not entirely. And the idea is, is I don't want to spoil too much. I mean, this is a picture of the first tutorial scenario, so it's not really giving away much here. And this is a tabletop simulator version of it. Anyway, I've got like the big box here. I mean, I wonder if I can get it on the... Oh, let me find the lid here. Oh, God, this is the box. I mean, it's pretty big here, this huge jumbo box, which looked a bit daunting at first. Surprisingly, not that hard to set up and put away, though. You know, most of it is in trays, which are half well designed they're not perfect but they're fine and there's a lot of different cards but you don't have to set them all out like this you know you can leave some of them in the trays but the idea is is that you can use an imported character from role player bit too much fat for my liking i'd rather just use one of the 50 million pre-generated characters that are in this game which i have i've taken a cat a humanoid cat or whatever it is a basjet basjar or something like that i've got a cat soothsayer and you go through these scenarios, there's like 10 plus a finale and a side quest, these adventure booklets, and you lay out this little map, you've got a character marker on there, you go to the locations, you flip over encounter markers, you've got a tome of encounters, you've got the different booklets that you can use, so, and, and a campaign log, etc. And you've got your own character sheet with attributes and all this stuff. And what you have is essentially a hand of cards made up of your various weapons and skills and traits and that. And as far as I'm aware, there's no limit as to what you can carry, which is a little bit weird thematically. I mean, I can have all these different weapons and skills and all that, and yet have no limit to each. I feel like there should be, although to be fair, that would make the game stupidly hard if you did, because you need every last card you can get. But the great thing with this is that it is a choose-your-own-adventure game. So this is an adventure game with mechanics. Not a mechanical Euro game with an adventure theme paced on. You are going through these different locations and then covering a story. I've only played three scenarios out of the, what, the 11, 12 that are possible here. So I'm about a quarter of the way through this game. I'm really enjoying this. The rules aren't that complex. You kind of need to go maybe a couple of times through the rulebook just to make certain you're really good on it. But the player referencer cards are pretty decent, these combat and skill ones. And the system is mainly a case of, right, Draw a bunch of dice out of a bag, roll them, and then based on whether you're doing a skill test, which is done by this really cool little spiral-bound booklet here, which has different levels and difficulties and requirements for skill tests like interpretation and stealth and resistance and endurance, that kind of thing. Neat little idea. And the idea is that you roll these dice, and with the cards that you have, the weapons and that, you are manipulating these dice in order to succeed at the skill test or cover up dice slots for combat. And it's a really neat little system. Now, granted, there's a lot of luck in this game. You know, what you roll is important. What you draw out of the bag is important. You can spend attribute cubes in order to dictate what dice you draw, what colors, and the cards act as mitigation. But certainly, at least when you start the game, it's going to be pretty tricky. And then later on, when it gets harder and harder to do these skills, I'm sure it will get ridiculously hard. But it's definitely going to have some times where it's going to sort of punch you in the face a bit. But... It's a really cool system because it, it's a cool little puzzle. Like every time I get a new skill, I got to think, right, I need those numbers and these colors. Right, well, this is what I've drawn, this is what I've rolled. 
Now let's see. This card, Spear. I can I can upgrade. I can flip this die over if it's green. Well, can I change it to green? Yeah, this card lets me do it. Well, if I play this one as a five, I can change it to one and three. But maybe I just need to give it a reroll and see. Can I draw more dice? Will I even care about succeeding this check or not? Because failing checks does not automatically kill you or anything in this game. It's uh, you might take a bit of damage or you might not get us. You might go down a different branching path than you would like to. But it's not like it cripples you to fail a test every once in a while and it's just a really good fun little system i mean i'm hopefully not giving away too many spoilers here from the pictures i mean if you if you if it's a spoiler alert fast forward a few minutes but honestly without context you won't know what's going on anyway but you know for example here i've got to cover a green one a six pink a five red and you know if you don't cover up combat slots they counter attack you and do damage you might think well i really want to fill up that slot first because it gives me xp and means I don't get hit back as much. The the variety in this game though is off the chain, off the friggin' chain. Too much so, in fact. Because I am a cat soothsayer. I could be a halfling cleric. I could be a dwarven forge master or whatever. There's just like in roleplayer, there is a ton of classes and a ton of backstories that you can have, but you are likely only gonna play this campaign twice. Anyway, I can definitely see myself playing this campaign again with different people. Now, I'm only playing it solo at the moment, but I could happily play this with maybe one, two or three players and have a fun time because there's a lot of branching paths to your narratives. I mean, you decide to give aid to an ogre, for example, you might have just let the ogre die and th these come back to bite you or reward you in the future when you least expect it. So there's definitely a good story element here, much better than what Descent had. But it gets a little bit ridiculous. This expansion, for example, here, this, uh, uh, what's he called? The, I don't know, the Backstory Codex, this snake dude on the front or whatever. Uh, yeah, this has backstories, more encounters, but God knows how many different backstories. I forget how many there is. Uh, three, five, ten, twenty, probably about fifty. Fifty or so backstories. You will have one per character. So I have a backstory from here called Haunted. One out of 50. If I play for this game again, I might instead have Savage. Great. Two out of 50. When am I ever going to see the other 48? That's a little bit ridiculous. You know, I like variety as much as the next person, but you can have too much. And it's the same with the classes. I mean, I can't... Uh, here we go. Yeah, I got the cards here. So nice big deck of cards here. You can have all of these pre-generated characters. That's a lot. Oh my word. You know, we've got Human Hunter, Elf Scribe, uh, Shaky and Elementalist, Halfling Cleric, Wrathborn Sarnet, Orc Paladin, Gnome Priest, Dwarf Warrior, Frogkin Shaman, Dragon King Warlord, Minotaur Crusader, Construct Enchanter, Dwarf Tinker, Elf Wizard. Oh my god. It's ridiculous. You're never going to play this game with enough people to see a lot of this content. Same problem Gloomhaven has. People say, oh my god, there's so much variety in Gloomhaven. You won't see all of it though. You only need so much variety in a game to keep it fresh each time. But once you know the main plot of this game, I can't see myself playing through the campaign more than once. Twice if I'm being generous and that I'm still not going to see a ton of this content here. I feel maybe they could have restricted it down a little bit. Although, like I say, it does mean that if you're going to talk about this game with other people, you can you know, you'll be able to discuss what happened and have a very different story. And as I say, I'm not going to moan too much about it having too much variety. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, it's kind of a little bit bloated in that regard. 
But the dice puzzle is solid. The story is interesting. The characters you meet are interesting. The dice puzzle is really satisfying with these different cards. And there's a lot of different cards you can get. You'll earn some as you go through the game through rare items and that. You will level up after each mission and you'll be able to improve your attributes just like you were playing a D&D campaign in a choose-your-own-adventure style. Here's the encounter. Do you want to help these people or do you want to kill them? You have snuck up and you found the lair of this adversary. Are you going to attack it and kill it and bring its head? Or are you going to diplomatize with it? And maybe I can just convince it to leave. You know, two very different ways of playing the game. You can roleplay your characters. I mean, I've you can have favor with three different factions here. The King's Guard, uh, kind of like the enemy monsters, and the Secret Order. And I've basically gone down the route where I'm like, you know what? King sucks. I don't like the king. King can get stuffed. I'm a soothsayer. I want to find out more mystical stuff. And maybe I have a bit of a sympathy towards the monsters, even though I am still seeking justice and still have a compassionate side. You know, I want to help people, but I don't really like the way the king does things. So at the moment, I'm not doing particularly well with the king's guard, but I'm doing well with the other two factions. And I'm playing a very different storyline in terms of branching paths and how my character has developed, even after only three missions, compared to if I was to be like the king's best friend or something, or a very different style of character. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to go and hack and slash everything I find. Really good sense of story and narrative in this, with an interesting dice mechanic, which, yes, is kind of luck-driven. There's the mitigation, but you are going to have to accept that sometimes the dice just will screw you at times. If that's going to put you off, then don't play this. But, yeah. I'm having fun with this. Would I want to play it with three or four players? Mm, I don't know. This could get quite lengthy with three or four players. But Solo, really enjoying this one. This could be a top 10 contender at this rate for top 10 of the year. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's right there with a bunch of trays. I had to move it all out of the way in order to get make room for the laptop for this podcast. But yeah, I look forward to playing this some more. And I hope to get at least half the campaign done before I do my top 10 of 21 so I can give it a fair... Uh, like get a chance to see whether it will end up on my list. I'm not going to finish the whole campaign before it. Yeah, come on, give me a break. I got other games to play. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. Definitely a Kickstarter. I'm glad I invested in. I think it was a late pledge as well. I think I gambled on this one. But yeah, good going, good going. Role player adventures. Right. Let's see. Uh, what are we at? 58 minutes. One more game. You get one more game out of me, and then I'm wrapping this up. So let's see. Uh, I'll mention some games that I played that you already know my thoughts about. Viscounts of the West Kingdom, love it, great game, taught it. I went a criminal strategy, getting lots of debts and flipping them over. I won by two points. Criminal strategy can work, but you got to be clever. Uh, Millennium Blades, I played a big game of that with my friends. Frantic, trying to be a CCG player, and it's, it's such a weird game. Like, being a CCG player... And you're building, you're collecting cards in order to build a CCG deck and then taking part in a, con- a tournament against the other players. It's such a weird game, but it's one of the most thematic games I've ever played. It's got a smorgasbord of abilities and that it is a nightmare to learn. It is not for the faint hearted, but... If you are a fan of level 99 shtick of just throwing in so much variety in the kitchen sink into some of the weirdest themes possible and you like anime style artwork, then yeah, this is a game I really enjoy. But yeah, my friend has it. I'm not going to buy my own copy, but it was good fun. I abused a couple of uh, combos like pretty much for most of the game and people couldn't beat them, which is a slight flaw. You can kind of end up as a runaway leader in this game. But yeah, I still really enjoyed it. 
Uh, what else did I play? Um, played Empires of the Void 2 twice. I taught that to several people and I tried aggressive and diplomatic. It worked both ways. Arkham Horror LCG. Uh, we played the blob that ate everything. Big multiplayer game. And I played, uh, what did I play? I played Father Mateo. Uh, I've been wanting to try him, I and mean, basically he's a priest character that loads the bag up with blessed tokens and does seals and tries to make it was that was basically what the deck was. I wanted to load the bag up with blessed tokens, seal certain bad tokens, and you know make the bag really good for the rest of the party. Eleven of us were playing. I am one other person, a patri uh, pretty expert player actually. You know, give him credit; he knew he knew his stuff far better than I did. But playing Patrice which was a character I usually didn't think much of, but with some new cards, oh my god, did I see the power of Patrice. But yeah, we were the two last survivors because the other two in my group had to basically make last stands to protect us so we could use the last of the countermeasures to finish this guy off. And we did win. I mean, we barely, like, we were missing most of our limbs, but we beat it, and so, fantastic. I don't want to give away spoilers for how the game works and that, but suffice to say, it's a pretty big game. But it's good fun. I mean, I love playing the co-op epic multiplayer scenarios. They take forever. You're going to be there all night. But it's just a very satisfying game, you know, to play with lots of people who are just into the game and want to help you out. And Father Mateo was enjoyable as well. I mean, I liked sticking blessed tokens in the bag, using them for special, like, discounts with cards. But particularly having cards where if people drew a lot of them out... Not only could I put them back in the bag, but I could treat them as Elder Signs. So I was really making the bag favourable for us. Tell that to my friend who was able to draw anything but blessed tokens and find a tentacle token more of the times than I would care to remember. <laughs> the worst luck ever. But suffice to say, we benefited. He was just incredibly unlucky. Especially being a Zoe character who got her hand devoured. You got that. That's got to hurt. You know, he was not having the best of days, but he enjoyed it as well. But let's talk very briefly about a game that I don't know if I'll get a chance to review this one before the end of this year. But Iki finally got a chance to play Iki and currently sitting at a 7 out of 10 for me, but I need to give it some more. It says 2015, which is when the game has come out, but technically this is a 2021 release, is it not? You know, it's a reprint, it's a re implementation. So I'm treating it as a 2021 game, but. People have been telling me like crazy, like, oh, you got to play this game, Luke. You'll really like it. It's a good midway interactive game. It's like, fine. I missed it at Essen. Didn't look at it at all at Essen. But I bought a copy from Games Law at GridCon and just gambled on it. We learned it straight from the rule book and we played it. And I've now played it a couple of times since. Firstly, seriously, uh, whoever you are, French, or was it? Sorry, we're French and that. Do your rule books better. This is not just a translation issue, I don't think. I think this is just poorly written rule books. This rule book is a travesty. There are typos, which are significant typos. There's a diagram example, which is really weird to go through that you could explain much more simply in a sentence. And then there's a couple of rules, which we got wrong because it wasn't entirely clear how the things worked. You are going to struggle to play this correctly if you do it straight from the rule book. You really need to be taught this. The problem is... There aren't any good videos out there for this. Nobody has done a good video for how to play Iki. So you're kind of in trouble there, really. You really want to be taught this game, or you're really going to have to pay attention to FAQs and Board Game Geek threads. That being said, once you actually get into the game, <laughs> it is beautiful as I'll get out. This cover is gorgeous. I love the artwork that is in this game. Look at that. That is such a nice cover. And uh, what it? what's his name? David Sitbomb. You deserve credit for this art, mate. Really, really good. 
Uh, this is the older version, which certainly didn't look particularly nice. Can I find, here we go, an updated version here. So you, basically what you're doing is that there's a Japanese street and your big meeple, I mean, they, they've got terms, accurate terms from Edo history for everything. I can't remember them. I can't pronounce them. It's big, medium, and small meeple for me, okay? Deal with it. But your big meeple moves around the street and visits these different shops. The shops can have up to two characters in them. So the shop can give you some ability or you can buy stuff there. But you can also interact with one of the two characters, regardless of which player owns them. The little mini meeples basically say who owns them. And when you visit them, you can get other things like rice to feed your people and uh, wood to build buildings, etc. But... When you visit an opponent's character, they level up an experience. And as you go around the street, they'll just level up over time. And when they get to a certain point, they will go to your player board. You won't have to feed them anymore. Uh, and they basically retire and they get you a decent salary, but also count for in-game scoring based on the colors. But while they're on the board, they get you a salary, well, as, as well as when they retire, but they'll get you a salary based on the level of experience. And they obviously can be there visited you want people to visit them but then you also might want to visit them yourself do you want them to fall off the board i mean yeah i could i need to feed them but they're in a good position on the board where i can take an advantage of them but then if other people visit them they drop off the board so now i've got to get another character there's a lot of different characters they do different things pretty simplistic abilities but you've also got the trouble of the fire you have to like combat this fire that comes at three stages during the game and it will choose one of the four areas at random and it will move along and if your firefighting strength isn't particularly good your characters can basically get burned alive i guess i mean pretty horrific but you know that's the way the game i say looks beautiful it is gorgeous great production quality in this game nothing was fiddly or anything like that really good production quality uh the components artwork love it the rules are actually not that complicated if someone actually teaches you them properly. <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare to do it from the rule book. But the rules themselves are not particularly complex. This is a mid-weight level game. There's also a bit more interaction in this one because you're putting characters down in the place of your choice and you're almost thinking, well, Green's going to visit there in a minute. Maybe I would like Green to actually visit this character because if Green's going to land on that space, which you know where they're going to move for the most part, they could spend sandals to move faster and that but you've got a good idea of where they could move so you might think well if i place the guy there i could tempt them into visiting them and then yes they get whatever ability it is but then it goes up in experience and it will retire sooner so i'm like here visit this uh sushi chef go on come on visit me sushi chef and it's just it's a nice level of interaction this is definitely more interactive than others now you're not necessarily killing off other people's characters or anything like that but the fact that i care where they're on the map whether they're going to steal like buy fish before i get a chance to retire a character before i get a chance to visit them or just the fact that i could get someone to visit my own characters it's more interactive and it's a refreshing change from most other euro games now flaws hmm besides that rule book it can drag its heels a bit in a four-player game. It does go on a bit. Uh, three or less is definitely, I think, a bit more... Three players is pretty enjoyable, actually. I think three is a sweet spot here. Um, it doesn't scale with players, really. You don't have less spaces on the board, I don't think, for three or four players. Actually, no, maybe you do flip the board for a two-player. I can't remember. But I haven't played this for two yet. There's no solo mode, so I can't play the solo. Not that I need a solo mode in every game, but still. Ugh, that was cold coffee I just drank there. You can tell how long I've been on the stream. But, you know, there's not a huge amount of variety in the characters. They kind of do similar things. Some are rinse and repeat. But the fire is kind of the thing I have the biggest problem with. 
this fire is a track that determines turn order for selecting which uh, your spatial medium meeple is going to go on for dictating how far your big meeple moves. Cool little mechanic, but the fire is random. When you when the fire triggers, it's random as to which of the four segments it goes to. So you might just dodge a bullet because it just happens to not pick the, the store you're at. But you might go out of your way to level up your firefighting and never need to use it. And so I, I wish there was a bit more of a deterministic factor there because you could lose out a bit by having several of your characters killed off even though there was only one of the stalls they were in any of the other three stalls they went in, the fire breaks out in, you'd have been fine. But just because it happened to hit that stall, you get screwed over. And I feel that's just a little bit too random in a game like this, where everything else is not random at all. There's no dice. There's Everything's deterministic in terms of uh, if you know the game well enough, you even know what uh, pipes, tobacco, and fish are going to come out because it's the same every game. Wish there was a bit more variety in that aspect. The buildings you know, they're fixed for the game and the characters you can see. So I do feel that the fire is just a bit of a weak element in this game. But other than that, the game is still enjoyable. I like the different characters. I like deciding, oh, I'm going to try this character now. I'm going to grab this one. I need to put them in this store. Combo this with that shop. That's a good one. Get you to visit them. The turn order is important. How fast you move around this board is important because you could level up your characters quicker if you move really fast, but then you go last. It's neat little mechanics that interweave with each other. But I need to play this a few more times to really gauge it. And I certainly need to try this out with two and three players because I've only played this with... Well, actually, no. Our first game was with three, but we played the rules wrong. So that doesn't really count. Other subsequent plays have been with four. I need to play it again with three, and I certainly need to test it out with two to kind of give a proper verdict on this one. But so far, it's enjoyable. You know, is it wrong to count this as a 2021 game? Should I leave it as 2015? I don't know. It looks like it's pretty much the same as a 2015 game, just a reprint. But uh, I don't know. Let me know your thoughts on that. Does Iki count as 2021 or is it 2015? Whew. And there's my throat severely gone and sore. Yeah, I need to sign off on this one, guys. But yeah, that is a lot of games I've been playing lately and my initial thoughts on them. Ark Nova, Role Player Adventures, Weather Machine, Grand Trunk Journey, Iki, Euphia, and all those other ones that I just glossed over. I've played a lot lately and it's certainly been intense, but in a good way. It was exhausting by the time I got back from GridCon. I mean, my mind was drained, but I had such good fun. So. By all means, when the next GridCon's on, which probably will be next summer, it's usually two, twice a year, so I'm expecting another one around June, July time. If it's on, I'll be there. So, uh, you know, always like a trip back to the West Country. It's only two and a half hours journey to get there. Cheap enough to stay nearby. Good food, good people, good cider. You know, it's definitely a convention I want to go to as many times as possible, especially when friends of mine from local go there as well so we can hang out. But... Yeah, thank you, Paul Grogan, for putting on the show. It was really good. Uh, you know, by all means, go support Gaming Rules as a channel. Go check out his videos, particularly if we're both doing something together. That'd be nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, these games are all solid. So what are your thoughts on them? Let me know in the comments. Do you like any of the ones that I've talked about? Do you think I was too harsh on you, Fear? Do you think I'm a bit too fanboyish over Ark Nova at the moment? It, have I got some surprises for Iki that uh, I'm going to find out? Or... You know, are you surprised that I enjoyed a train game? You know, so let me know what you think. I always like to engage with you. By all means, don't forget to leave a thumbs up if you like it. And uh, by all means, and 
that's about it, really. And also, don't forget to check out the Zatu giveaway. Uh, you know, definitely, as a reminder, that video... You know, I wonder if my subs have gone up since. But basically, you know, like, comment, and subscribe to the channel and follow that web link that's in the description of that video to win the games that I talk about on that list, all right? It's definitely worth doing. You know, it's a great little giveaway, worldwide delivery, five great games that you're going to get for free, possibly some Zatu accessories as well, like some orange and black meeples and a dice tray and that. You know, you know, there could be some extra bits thrown in. So by all means, check it out. But that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple show. Remember to check out the rest of the content on this channel. Reviews that I've been doing recently. The top five stocking stuffers. But also Cascadia, Gollum, Messina, uh, Batoku. You know, I've done a lot of reviews uh, in the last few days. And I've got a ton more to review before the end of this year. I'm going to be hard at work. But in a good fun way. So uh, yeah, I'll see you next time. Take care. And remember as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Love you all.